everybody. Welcome to the X Point. I am Riven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who I know is a huge basketball fan. So he may agree with me in saying that today is the saddest day in sports. It is the four years since the passing of Kobe, Gigi, and seven innocent travelers um, in a terrible helicopter crash. It's kind of crazy to think that was four years ago. Obviously. Thoughts and prayers to the Bryant family and the families of others who were a part of that crash. It sucks. And honestly, today's been kind of sad for me. But that's not what this show is about. We're going to try to keep it positive. So but to start this whole thing off, what is your favorite Kobe Bryant memory, story, etc.? My favorite Kobe Bryant memory is... Watching him win, I want to say, 2010 against the Celtics. Yep, that was ring number five. Because, like, I watched every game of their series. And, I was and like, I was rooting for the Lakers because I didn't want the Celtics to win. And, like, just how Kobe was getting busy and winning. Like, he was, he was on a mission, and you can tell from the start. I... I don't want to copy you, but that's definitely up there for me. Probably, obviously this moment sucks, but it's 2013. He's pay, playing damn near 40-plus minutes a game. This is when we traded for Steve Nash and Dwight Howard, two of the worst trades in Lakers history. And yet he still was doing everything he could to propel the Lakers into the playoffs. He ends up tearing his ACL, and he still finds a way to get to the free – throw line, makes the free throws that help us win the game. Obviously, him tearing his ACL is not a memory I like to think about, but it's just him doing that is just a signification of everything he represents. The no matter what, work harder. No matter how hard it is, no matter how much pain you're in, you got to give 115% to yourself, to your team, to make those around you better, to make your team better. And I mean, like, it's just – if you ever needed a textbook definition of the Mamba mentality, that's it. Because you know he's in pain. Like, you know how hard it is to even come back from those serious injuries. Especially because he knew, like, that's essentially your season. And you've been putting your body through the ringer for the past however many months. Then for it all to be cut short, it was tough. But he still managed to go out there and do what he could to help the team. So, honestly... If that's probably one of my favorites, just because again, it's just a clear personification of what the Mamba mentality looks like in real time in action. Um, and so, obviously, Kobe being Bryant, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, basketball player of all time. I'll let y'all outsiders debate that. Um, in his memory, uh, Adam Silver has decided. Well, he did this a couple years ago that the MVP of said All Star game would be named after Kobe Bryant because he has the most MVP wins in All Star history. And in correlation with that, this week, uh, this year's All Star starters have been announced. Starting with the Eastern Conference, it's Giannis Antetokounmpo along with Joel Embiid, Tyrese Halliburton, uh, Jason Tatum, and Damian Lillard. And the West starters will be Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Nikola Jokic, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and Luka Doncic. Ethan, in your opinion, which conference has the better starting lineup? Uh, the West. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I think they have the better bucket getters. Like, even though, like, KD's been on the tear lately, 
Nikola Jokic is in the MVP conversation. LeBron is LeBron. Shea is balling and Luka is Luka. I, I know we don't, like, neither of us, like, put too much stock into the game. But do you feel like anybody got snubbed from a starting spot? Are you okay with the starters? Uh, I mean, I hear the discourse around Jalen Brunson. And I do kind of agree. Like, I understand that he he averages maybe two more points a game than Dane. But the way I see it is, it's like, he averages two more points, but ever since he's been added to the Knicks, he's made the Knicks kind of relevant. Like, uh, he, his impact on their team, and granted, I'm not saying, like, if Dane didn't have to share the court with Giannis, Dane's impact wouldn't be bigger. But in the context of the teams that they're on, Jalen Brunson's impact on his team is way bigger than Dane's. I 100% agree with that. And, I mean, again, this is no disrespect to Dame, you know. I'm sure we all know, like, he wasn't expecting to get traded to the Bucks, where Giannis is clearly the face of that franchise. But you look at the Knicks, it is undoubtedly Jalen Brunson. And personally, I'm always going to give a nod to guys like that who have the weight of the franchise on their shoulders. I mean, obviously, Jalen Brunson's still going to go. He's still going to be able to play. But I'm sure he missed out on a little bit of a payday not being a starter. Um, but we got a cool show for you guys today. We're going to break down this upcoming AFC and NFC championship games, as well as look at the coaching carousel around the NFL and kind of decide which coaching hire we like the most. With regards to the NBA, we're going to talk the trade uh, of Terry Rozier to the Miami Heat. Obviously, we're also going to talk about the Adrian Griffin discourse with the Milwaukee Bucks and what we should expect from Doc Rivers stepping into that role. And then we're going to close things out with our Royal Rumble predictions. It's me, it's Big E, and it's Embryo. It's a great time. By the way, I don't think we mentioned Vince McMahon in any capacity during the Royal Rumble predictions, um, but we recorded that before all the Vince McMahon stuff came out, so, you know, keep that in mind. Um, so without further ado, let's go ahead, get things started. Uh, looking back at the divisional round, uh, starting things off with the Baltimore Ravens defeating the Houston Texans 34 to 10 kind of like we did last week just kind of asking the question about the losers of said playoff games where they go from here so in your opinion Ethan have the Houston Texans after this breakout season with D'Amico Ryans being finalist for coach of the year in my opinion should be the winner CJ Stroud putting forth a great rookie of the year campaign really carrying this offense the defense looking good have the Houston Texans submitted themselves as a real threat in 2024 but when you say real threat, are you meaning like Super Bowl threat or playoff No, no, no. Let's say playoff threat. Playoff threat. I, I 100% think so. Um, because they they made the Super Bowl. They made, I was about to say Super Bowl. They made the playoffs um, in the division that's easily winnable. And they also were like playing without their best weapons. And they have... I think, if I'm not mistaken, a decent amount of cap space going into this offseason. Mm-hmm. So, like, that, they can get guys back healthy. They can put cap space into, like, improving their defense. They started to get better as the season progressed and maybe make a move that I – mean, I think, man, you talked about this off-air where I think they have – it's a guy that's a free agent that plays a running back that I think could be great for Houston. And he's a former running back in that division. So maybe they can make a move for him to help, like, 
balance it out where it's not all just on CJ Stroud. Yeah, I agree because that run game was really, really bad. I mean, Damian Pierce, who had a really good rookie year last year, like kind of faded into the background. Devin Singletary kind of had to step up. So I think running back is going to be a big priority for them. Um, I think that the Texans definitely have a shot to be back in the playoffs and possibly, you know, make it at least to the divisional round again. I think what might work in their work against them is we were having these same conversations about the Jacksonville Jaguars last year. You know, they make the playoffs, they end up winning the AFC South. They have that huge comeback win over the Los Angeles Chargers. They give the Chiefs a run for their money in the divisional round. And yet this year, they don't even make the playoffs. And so not these are two entirely different teams, but I think that just kind of seeing how it worked out for Jacksonville, I think it may take some time for people to really want to anoint the Texans as that next up-and-coming team until they see more from them, which is fair. Um, but, all right, let's go ahead and talk the second of Saturday's games. The San Francisco 49ers survived against the Green Bay Packers. Uh, 49ers going home with the 24-21 win to advance to the NFC Championship. Ethan, in your opinion, have the Packers really found the next Aaron Rodgers? I mean, he did He did everything. A-Rod, like, he had a great regular season. Beat the Cowboys and lost to San Fran. So, I think, I, I do, but outside of their little, like, pettiness, I do think that they found, at least for the time being, their next franchise guy. Um, I know that um, early on in his career, Jordan Love, did, he looked like he might not be the guy, but as this season progressed, he started to improve. And you could just see, like, those flashes that he showed. He started to have those plays more consistently. Uh, he has to stop trying to make, like, game-winning throws and crucial downs across his body against one of the best defenses in the league. But that aside, I think they might have found their guy. I think so, too. And, I mean, it's just so hard finding that guy. You know what I mean? Like, there are still teams out there that are just searching and clawing to find who their next quarterback is. And sometimes they even paid the guy, but there's still questions about whether or not he's the right option. I think that the Green Bay Packers just kind of stashing him away for a bit, having him opportunity to, like, sit behind Aaron Rodgers and kind of develop his game and learn and grow and then being able to bring him, like, sign him on a two-year, $20 million deal, something like that, like a prove-it deal, and he comes out and proved it. I think that for both sides, they see that, okay, Jordan Love is the guy. We can win with him. Now let's add some more pieces. Let's get some more experience and see how far we can take it. All right, keep it on the quarterback conversation. Let's talk Baker Mayfield. Uh, the Detroit Lions ended up defeating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 31-23 to in the divisional round. However, Baker Mayfield just throughout this season has seemingly showed why he was drafted first overall in the 2018 NFL Draft. In your opinion, has Baker done enough to submit himself as the, as the Bucs quarterback of the future? Uh, I wouldn't say quarterback of a feature but I think he solidified himself for maybe being their quarterback for the next two to three seasons and then figuring out like what they're going to do from there um like he played really well this season I also think he's gonna a lot of this gonna hinge on if they're able to resign guys like I know Mike Evans is up for free agency isn't Chris Godwin up too uh, I think he has a, another year left. They have a lot of guys on free come about to be free agents. Yeah, but 
from the offensive standpoint, like, like if you lose Mike Evans, I, I, and I know they still have other weapons. I might be on the fence, but if you're able to bring back Mike Evans and run out the, basically the same offense, maybe some offensive line improvements, I think he deserves a chance. Yeah, I think he deserves a chance too. Kind of like I was just saying about Jordan Love, like teams are – it's hard finding a quarterback in this league. And, I mean, not saying that, you know, the Bucks hit it out of the park in getting Baker after Tom Brady retired – but I think everybody can could agree it could be way, way worse than Baker Mayfield this season, especially with the way that he played. I mean, it's been pretty up and down for Baker throughout his entire career. But I think, like you said, like if you're able to keep putting good pieces around him and Baker can kind of mature a bit as a player and make better decisions, because this year his decision-making on the whole really wasn't that bad. If he can continue to work on that and, like you said, like keep town around him, I think he could be pretty, pretty solid. All right, last but not least, Kansas City Chiefs won the game of the weekend against the Buffalo Bills 27-24, yet again ending the Bills season. There are many questions that could come out of this game, but just simply put, even though it's not a simple answer, what will it take for the Bills to get over the hump? Uh, against the Chiefs, one, I think a big thing that hurt the Chiefs was throughout the course of their season, they lost a lot of key pieces on defense. Like, they lost their starting linebacker, Matt Milano, mm-hmm. which would have a key piece, especially going up against Travis Kelsey and, like, the run game, Isaiah Pacheco. I think that was big. They also lost some other linebackers during the game. True, Davius White lost for the season, I think, like, week one or two. Yeah, like, I think that played a bigger part, a big part in it. Because, I mean, the reality of it is when you watch that game, the Bills' offense did everything that they had to do. Yes, they didn't come up with the final, with the play to win it, but if you would have gotten, like, one stop, they, I think they would have won that game. Yeah. I. It's so weird. Like, this year, I think a lot of people are going to put a lot on Stefan Diggs, which, I mean – Looking at the stats, I don't know if you saw this, um, but so over the last 10 Bills games, uh, Khalil Shakir had 462 receiving yards. Stephon Diggs had 422. Shakir had 37 targets, and Stephon Diggs had 80. And I know a lot of people are going to try to boil down everything to that drop he had on that bomb, and I mean, it was a bad drop. But even still, like, you need your best players to show up when it matters. It doesn't matter what position they play. It doesn't matter if they were kind of like easing into the playoffs, whatever. When the lights are on bright, you want your best players to show up. And simply put, Stephon Diggs didn't do that. And looking at this Bills offense, they don't have the weapons to have the luxury for it. Okay, Stephon Diggs kind of has a bad game. We can make up for it. Or at least not against a really good defense like the Chiefs or at least a team that can get into a shootout with them. It's just not going to happen. I mean, you can get away with it against the Steelers, but, I mean, the Steelers' offense has been piss poor all year, whereas you're going up against the Chiefs who say what you will about the receiving core, and believe me, we've said it, 
but they have championship experience. They've been in this situation before, and now they have a defense that's the best it's been since Patrick Mahomes got there. And so if Stephon Diggs isn't going to show up, that's going to hurt you. Don Kincaid is very good. Same could be said for Dawson Knox. But that's only so much that they can really give you out of the tight end position. And then your next best receiver is Khalil Shakir. If you're Buffalo, you have to invest in bringing in more weapons because I don't really think Stephon Diggs is going to go anywhere. Or at least if he does, I think it'd be more of a cap situation thing because like I sent you and we talked about a little bit off air, Josh Allen's extension goes into effect this upcoming season. And so he's going to count for – he's going to have a major cap hit, which is going to make it harder to pay guys like Stephon Diggs. But – I think that if you're Buffalo and you're this front office, you want to do everything you can to bring in as many weapons as you can because you know what? What you've seen time and time again, what you have right now is not enough. And it's not just not enough against Kansas City. It's not enough against Cincinnati too. So let's say Cincinnati gets healthy. They're able to bring back T. Higgins, maybe Tyler Boyd, and maybe upgrade in the slot. With this current Bills offense, I think it would have been the same result. I don't think they beat Buff. I mean, I don't think they beat Cincinnati. And if they were going to play Baltimore with this, the way Baltimore has been playing, I don't think they beat Baltimore either. So I think that they need to get more weapons before they can really, really go blow for blow. Um. So yeah, end of the divisional round. I went four and zero. You went three and one. Only difference we had was that uh Chiefs and Bills game, and um. Talking about the Chiefs, that kind of goes into top three takeaways. And my number three takeaways, you can never count out the Chiefs. I don't think there's more to be said. You just can't do it. We've seen it time and time again. And this past weekend was a prime example. Yeah, my top three takeaways, my number three. I, I was, it's funny because I was going to say the exact same thing, but I'm not going to copy off your paper. My my number three is, and we kind of talked alluded to it earlier, I know you you referenced the Jags and how, like, last year they looked like they could be their team. But I just, for me, the reason why I kind of have more faith in the Houston Texans than I do the Jags is, and I understand it's only a one-year sample size, but C.J. Stroud just looks like a way more complete, composed quarterback than Trevor Lawrence. Um... And so I think that even though they took a devastating loss, I think this was like the building blocks for the Houston Texans potentially being the AFC South uh, power for the years to come. And so just to play devil's advocate, would you say that C.J. Stroud is the best quarterback in that division? Right now, in my opinion, yes. Yeah. Based off this season, it's hard to go any other way. And also, to be fair, Trevor Lawrence is the only quarterback who's not a rookie. So, but yeah, based off this season, it was far and away C.J. Stroud. He was a top 10 at worst quarterback in the league. Um, All right, my number two is you kind of talked about the Bucs and, you know, needing to keep their weapons, but this Bucs roster is going to look totally different next season than it does now. Why do I say that? Here's why. So here are the upcoming unrestricted free agents they have. Mike Evans, Devin White, Levante David, Baker Mayfield, Greg Gaines, William Goldston, Antoine Winfield Jr., um, Chase McLaughlin, uh, let's see, Matt Filer, who started some games from Greg Gaines, who's been a, a presence on that defensive line. They have a lot of impact players on 
the who could possibly be wearing different colors next year. And while I know they're not going to be able to keep everybody, for example, I am very confident uh, my boy Devin White is not going to be there no more. But, I mean, the NFL is such an ever-changing league. And, again, we talked about this. Like, for Baker to succeed, you got to have as many weapons around him. I just wonder if you're in that front office – and what those conversations are. Do you want to prioritize bringing back some of those defensive guys like an Antoine Winfield or Levante David, um, maybe even Devin White, et cetera? Or do you want to allocate those resources to making your offense stronger? And even if you can't bring back Mike Evans, get in another stout wide receiver or maybe adding a powerhouse running back to that room and like add it to that offensive line. Is the focus going to be more so let's keep the defense intact or let's build and be stronger around Baker. I think that's going to be a really interesting conversation and storyline to look at this offseason. Yeah, I agree. So I got a question. Mm -hmm. Levante David is 34 years old. Do you think he, do you think he, um, he retires? I think so. Like, I think that I'll say it like this. I don't know what his motivations are to keep playing. If he wants to win, win a ring, He's going to have to leave Tampa to do that. No offense to Tampa. And I think that while he definitely will have a market because he had a great year this year, do you want to go ahead and move somewhere else and start over in hopes of winning one and then it doesn't happen? Or do you just want to go out kind of on your own terms? Like I said, he had a great year this year. So it's like, it's not, I'll say this, he's not getting pushed out of the NFL because if he wanted to play, somebody would bring him in. But I think he is going to end up retiring. Yeah, because from a stat standpoint, I'm looking at his stats from this past season. He had 134 tackles and four and a half sacks. Levante David is and has always been a bad dude. He just doesn't get the respect that he rightfully deserves. Yeah. So, my number two takeaway is... um, we're going to we're going to the knee biters in Detroit. If if they're able to get, I think if they're able to get their ground game going, they could be one of the more. They could probably be outside of y'all. I think they could be one of the more dangerous offenses in the NF, like in the playoffs currently. Like I get the 49ers and everything that they have. We don't know per se if Debo is going to play, but like whenever the Lions can get their run game going, especially when you can get Jameer Gibbs going, because he whenever he gets going, he gives you one explosive play a game when he gets going. I think that's incredibly dangerous, and I think it's incredibly dangerous for San Francisco, seeing as how they let Aaron Jones run all over them this past week. Yeah, that's a great point. And, I mean, again, Jordan Love obviously didn't play the way you wanted him to to kind of wrap things up. But that run game, it seemed like anytime 33 had the ball, they were going to get at least a decent run out of it. And, I mean, that's something that you got to be able to do. I mean, in playoff football, I know they were playing in Santa Clara, but, I mean, hey, usually the weather's bad, it's colder, balls aren't sailing the way that you want them to. You got to be able to run the ball and stop the run if you want to win these games. So I think that, yeah, I'm with you. Like, if the Lions can really, like, shore up that run game, it's going to be dangerous. Um, My number one takeaway is, and y'all can say I'm being biased, but I'm really not. The Baltimore Ravens have the best defense in the league. Argue with your mama. 
I understand there was a lot of discourse between, well, does Baltimore have the best defense? Does Cleveland have the best defense? Does the, do the San Francisco have the best defense? And I always looked at it like even before the playoffs started, Baltimore allowed the fewest points per game. They had the most takeaways and they had the most sacks. Simply put, if you played Baltimore, you're going to have to earn every point you are going to get. Hence why they were able to win so many games because people just couldn't score. And this isn't just saying like they were playing scrubs. Like they played great offenses. They played the 49ers. They played um, Detroit. They played Seattle. They've played Cincinnati. And as crazy as it sounds, the team that scored the most points against them was the Cleveland Browns, who had 33. Which, again, is insane. But considering the offenses that they played against, simply put, you didn't score. And a textbook definition of this was the Houston Texans this past week. Wild card round, they could do whatever they wanted to to Cleveland. And again, this is not me knocking Cleveland. Cleveland had a great defense all year. But they looked unprepared against this Texans offense. And I'll admit, it had me questioning, dang, how are we going to respond? What are we going to do with Nico Collins going up against Houston? And we did pretty damn well. C.J. Stroud only had 170 passing yards. They only rushed for 38 yards. That offense only scored three points. If you need a prime example of who's the best defense in the league, you really don't have to look no further than Baltimore because if you didn't think Baltimore was the best defense in the league before that game, you weren't paying attention. I mean, you stole my number Well, I ain't going to say you stole it, but that was my number one too. Cause and it's also and not it's also this in my opinion. It's the way that Baltimore's defense is constructed. Like they have on the on the on the line front, they don't necessarily have like a big name star, but they have dudes that can do their job in, incredibly well. But then once you look once you go past that D line, it's really, really solid. You have Roquan Smith, who I think is – I understand Fred Warner, but I just like Roquan Swag. So, I'm going Roquan is the best linebacker in the league. I love and, Roquan. He is he is a yeah. man amongst men. Like, like, Roquan is the old school linebacker. Like, and, like, he – like, I think Lamar said he gives you, like, Ray Lewis of this generation vibes. That's what, that's what I feel. Then you got PQ next to him. Then you got Marlowe, and I know I think he's coming back this game. You got Marlowe in the secondary. You got Kyle Hamilton, who can do everything in safety. Like, that defense is amazing. And that's why I understand, like, everybody saying, like, hey, like, don't count out Patrick Mahomes. But I think, because in this, this iteration of the Chiefs, it really hasn't been Patrick Mahomes. Like, the game against the Bills, it really was Isaiah Pacheco. Yeah. And, like, Patrick Mahomes threw, like, maybe, like, two touchdowns or a touchdown to Travis Kelsey when they needed it. But, like, if you can stop that run game against against Kansas City, I don't think the Chiefs are going to pull this out. And I think that the Ravens are going to stop that run game. Fingers crossed. And kind of going back to Rock on Smith, because like I said, like I, 
he's he's like instantly became my favorite Raven. It's insane how fast that happened. But I was watching The Wired. I don't know if you watched it. I know you like sent me some of the mic'd up. Probably my favorite thing he has said since putting on a Ravens jersey was they were huddled up before the game and he said, let's take everything they worked for. And that had me ready to run through a brick wall. Like, I'm not out there tackling nobody, but that had me ready to go out, line up against freaking Nico Collins, Dalton Schultz. I want to sack C.J. Stroud. Like, he gets you hype. Like, there'll never be another Ray Lewis. But, man, Roquan is like this. He's giving the vibes of this iteration's Ray Lewis. And it is just, oh, my gosh, it's so dope to be a part so, of. So, I, I, I listened to to the wired against the 49ers Ooh. and the wired against the, the Texans. Bro, like, it's just like you said, like, I was like, hey, where's somebody playing football that I just got to hit somebody? Yeah. Like, just got to. (laughs) Love that guy. Love that guy. Um, All right. Let's go ahead and move on, though. Uh, Let's go ahead and talk most impressive offensive, defensive rookies of the divisional round. Um, Offensively, I'm going Lamar Jackson. I said it last week. He was a guy I was watching. You always hear so much about Lamar can't do this in the playoffs. He's that in the playoffs. He's this, he's that. He put all, well, I will say he put it all to rest, but he definitely silenced some doubters. Um, two passing touchdowns, rushed for over 100 yards, had two rushing touchdowns. It started off a little bit slow, but in the second half, everything picked up, and the Texans just couldn't do nothing with him. Yeah, for me, I'm going with Lamar as well. Um, defensive player, this was kind of tough, but I'm going to go 49ers linebacker Dre Greenlaw. I mean, he had eight tackles, two picks, including the game winner. Even though he should have got down, I like you. I'm surprised, like, everybody in the stadium wasn't yelling for him to get down. Luckily, it worked out. They ended up winning the game. But I had this originally as one of my takeaways. But you look at two of the best defenses left in the playoffs. You got Baltimore, you got San Francisco. Their heart and soul of their defenses are their inside linebackers. And I know everybody tries to say off-ball linebackers, you know, it doesn't matter anymore. Watch the best defenses in the league. I can assure you, one of, if not their best player, is a linebacker. I'm actually saying the same thing because, again, I'm going to be real with you. I've kind of converted my favorite position in football to being linebacker because it's like Ray Lewis was my favorite player. Really, the only reason I liked D-line was because I played D-line, but I really always wanted to play linebacker. But, like, the way that, like, he sealed that game, it was funny because I think I I watched it, like, either it was Fred Warner or it was somebody – they basically saw it happen and they threw their hands up because they knew it was over when he made the game similar interception. Yeah. And he should have definitely got down, but, you know, he wanted to try to score because somebody called him out to get a pick six. So. I'm trying to tell y'all, middle linebacker is such a pivotal position. Don't let nobody tell you it doesn't matter. Please don't. Um, all right, let's go ahead and move on. Rookie of the week. I'm going Jameer Gibbs. Uh, the Buccaneers had one of the better rushing defenses uh, left in the playoffs. And Jameer Gibbs balled out. Had 13 overall touches, 114 scrimmage, scrimmage yards, and a touchdown. I mean, and I mean, we've seen so much of him having to balance things out with uh, 
David Montgomery. David Montgomery only had 33 yards on 10 carries. Jameer Gibbs was the only person in that run game that was really making things shake. And I think without it, the Lions offense wouldn't have been able to produce as much as they would have they would have originally because they were so one-dimensional. Uh, for my rookie, I got to go a duo. And you already said one half of it, but I got to go Jameer Gibbs and Sam LaPorta. Sam LaPorta is a bully. They are, oh my gosh, they're so good. The Lions, Brad Holmes went crazy in the booth, went crazy on draft night. I know there's still questions about what Jack Campbell is going to be, but honestly, your your first, three of your first four picks are Jameer Gibbs, Sam Laporta, and Brian Branch. Sign me up, sign me up any day of the week. Um, my most disappointed player, obviously, uh, Bills kicker, Tyler Bass. I know he was kind of struggling the last couple of weeks anyway. Then he misses the potentially game-tying 44-yard kick. They end up losing the game. I mean, time and time again, we see kickers matter. Like, And Tyler Bass has been good throughout the season, which is why it is a bit more disappointing because he's usually somebody who may not be automatic, but if it's inside like 45, he usually does what he's supposed to do but didn't do it in the biggest game of the year. For me, my most disappointing player, it has to be Josh Allen. Um he played well that whole game, but, and I agree, Tyler Bass missed the key kick, but Josh Allen still had a chance to uh, not even put Tyler Bass in this situation. Yeah. And, like, the play the play in particular, the reason it's disappointing is because he could have done two things that would have maybe helped the result. So the initial throw, when he threw it to the end zone, if he would have just stepped up in the pocket – he could have got that pass off clean. Like, he's a QB. Why He should feel – he should have felt that pressure. We've seen thousands of QBs feel that pressure, step up and deliver a dime. I can't – like, this basic QB fundamentals in my mind. And then he had Stephon Diggs wide open. Underneath. Underneath. And he could have threw it down to him. And he could have, at, at minimum – picked up the first down, if not got more yards than the first. And, like, that was the thing, in my mind, the reason it's disappointing is that was the thing that he was starting to do that made him look like, okay, he was starting to be a better quarterback. And in the in the clutch, in the any situation of the game, you go away from it, and that's the play that I feel like might have cost him the game. Yeah. I, it definitely hurt them. It definitely did hurt them. Um, all right, let's go ahead and move on to some league news, uh, starting off with the announcement that tight end Zach Ertz is signing with the Detroit Lions practice squad. More than likely, he's going to be elevated for Sunday's NFC Championship game. Um, he, and for those of you who don't remember, earlier this season, he and the Arizona Cardinals mutually agreed on a release, setting him free for a while. And Loki, I kind of forgot about him till it came out he was signing with Detroit. But I mean, hey, if you want to wait to join somebody who has a chance to go to the Super Bowl, I get it. You go get your ring chasing on. I'm not mad at you. Um, all right, looking at some other moves around the front office and coaching carousel. Uh, Packers decide to fire defensive coordinator uh, Joe Barry. Dolphins and defensive coordinator Vic Fangio mutually agreed to part ways. Fangio uh, cited wanting to be closer to his mother in Pennsylvania. And so guess what? Now he's going to join the Philadelphia Eagles coaching staff. 
Uh, the Bengals quarterback coach, uh, Dan Pitcher, the offensive coordinator. We'll get to why they do that shortly. Uh, Panthers promote Dan Morgan to their general manager spot. Raiders hire former Chargers uh, general manager Tom Telesco to that same role. And now to the fun part. We had five head coaching vacancies fill up. So let's start off with the one that might have been the biggest surprise. The Carolina Panthers have elected to hire Dave Canales the offensive coordinator of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as their new head coach. The Tennessee Titans hire uh, Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan as their head coach. The Atlanta Falcons just yesterday have selected uh, Rams defensive coordinator Raheem Morris as their new HC. The Las Vegas Raiders officially have named Antonio Pierce as their head coach. Honestly, a move that you and I have been waiting on because they should have been did this. And last but certainly not least, Jim Harbaugh is coming back to the NFL. He is now going to be the Los Angeles Chargers head coach, signing a five-year deal. Ethan, of the head coaching hires, which one is your favorite? Jim Harbaugh. Um, I mean, because the reality of it is, is when he was in the NFL, what, 10, 10 years ago? Yeah, 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 because I think he was only in San Francisco like a year or two after the Super Bowl, and that was 2012. Oh, yeah, 10 years ago, he he led the San Francisco team to a Super Bowl with Colin Kaepernick as their quarterback. Harbaugh Bowl. Yeah. I, part of me wants to say Antonio Pierce, but another part of me wants to talk more about Jim Harbaugh. I think it's my favorite one as well because I think what can't be forgotten is Jim Harbaugh is like, I don't know if we'd put him in the conversation of quarterback whisperer, but if you look back at some of the quarterbacks that he's been around and how he's helped to elevate their play, like it makes me very, very excited to see what he's going to be able to do with Justin Herbert. For example, when he was at Stanford, guess who was his quarterback? Andrew Luck. And um, Colin Kaepernick, who you just mentioned. I mean, J.J. McCarthy, who we just coached in Michigan, who's probably going to be a first-round pick, who probably shouldn't. But he's just been able to get the most out of his guys who are under center, no matter who they are. And that is a rare ability in coaching. Because, I mean, sometimes you just get a guy who's not that good, and guess what? He's not magically going to become good. And so I'm very excited to see, you know, how he helps develop them. And so, like, on on the conversation, so obviously him joining the Chargers made a, brought up a good point. Um, they had a lot of people talking. So Dan Orlowski said that Justin Herbert now has a coach that gets him into the Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow conversation. With Jim Harbaugh, do you think Justin Herbert solidifies himself as a top five quarterback in the league, even though low-key people are already putting him up there? shown his level of talent so like if Jim Harbaugh gets every drop of talent out of out of him then you look at whatever what else is on the roster like they already have receivers in Keenan Allen I think Mike Williams is up in free agency this year but they drafted Quentin Johnson the the unanimous mock drafts all have them taking Brock Bowers from Georgia the tight end so like you're on the offensive side from the quarterback standpoint, you're coming in to an offense that maybe outside the offensive line and maybe giving Austin Eckler some money, you really don't have to touch it. Yeah. So, like, I think 
I think he, I think he can because it's like jo- Justin Herbert was putting up numbers with it before Jim Harbaugh. If Jim Harbaugh makes him better, he's gonna put up even better numbers. Yeah, I, I'm gonna disagree with you on the line. I think they need a right tackle. Um, and if Corey Lindsley retires, they got to figure out what they want to do as center. But, I mean, you can figure that out during the draft. I mean, I think probably the biggest off-roster hurdle is just going to come on. You got a lot of guys making a lot of money and no cap space. You're going to have to find a way to maneuver that. But I think that Jim Harbaugh, like we said, like he's been a professional. He's been a roster builder for years now. I don't think he's going to shy away from that challenge. And I think he's going to do a really good job of getting this team ready to compete and you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, he's going to have him in a Super Bowl tomorrow. But I do think that this team, like some of the excitement we were feeling last year and before, I think we're going to actually not only just see it, but it's going to be sustained. And it's not just going to fall, slip through their fingers as it tends to do. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to the championship round. And instead of just making uh, predictions, we're going to get a little bit in depth before making said predictions. Uh, so let's start off with the AFC championship that takes place first. On Sunday, and as y'all know, I'm probably not going to get no sleep on Saturday night, so that'll be fun for me. But uh, let's talk each team's biggest strength, starting with the Baltimore Ravens. Their defense. Um, they lock people down. Like, you don't score against them. And, I like, I understand Lamar. Like, I'm a Lamar fan. I'm glad that he's starting to get the respect that he's deserved. I hope he wins so that he can continue to get their respect. But when I look at their when I look at their Ravens team, I think about their defense before I think about their offense. Facts. And honestly, as a Ravens fan, that's how it should be, just considering the history of this franchise. Um, but yeah, I also have like battle tested defense. Like not only is this defense good and they have great stats. But kind of going back to when we talked about the takeaways, like they've gone up against great offenses and great quarterbacks. Like in December, they faced they faced uh, Miami, they faced the San Francisco, they faced the Rams, they faced the Chargers, they faced the Bengals, Seattle, um, Detroit. Like they've gone up against some of the best offenses, Texans as well. Some of the best offenses in this league, and not one time did they back down. And I think that's going to carry a lot of weight because we can say what we want about the deficiencies of the Chiefs offense, but Patrick Mahomes is still arguably the best quarterback in the league. And if you're the best at something, you're going to make things shake. And I think that they're going to be able to help that out. All right, what about the Chiefs? What do you think is their biggest strength? Their biggest strength? I'll say this. I think they have a great defense. There's also battle-tested. But at the end of the day, the dude that were number fifteen. If you if you if you're able to give him a shot to win the game, he's proven that he can do it time and time again. So I think in my opinion, I think their biggest strength is having Patrick Mahomes in the clutch. That's real. I'm gonna say championship experience. Like I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, like for the wild card round, but they've seen this movie before. Like this is their sixth straight year in the AFC championship, which is insane to think about. And they also have two rings to show for it. Like, they've been battle-tested. They've seen what it takes to win, and they know how to do so. And I think that they have more – well, not think. They have more championship experience than everybody else left in the field. And I think that that's going to help them, like, when things get harder, if things aren't going their way, they can rely on that and kind of go back to the things that were working for them as opposed to just sitting around and, you know, with their hand, sitting on their hands wondering what they should do next if things aren't going their way. But let's talk biggest weakness for Baltimore. 
biggest weakness uh I think to me their biggest weakness is they don't have receivers with size um like they had like OBJ he's like 5'11 maybe 6 foot and I know that they utilize their tight ends but I think sometimes if they could get like bigger guys that could potentially make some contested catches I think that's a weakness I would say the weakness is, I'm trying to think of how I want to word this. What happens when Lamar's bag of trips is, tricks is empty? And I, I, I get so sick of people like, oh, you just got to make Lamar throw and you can win. I don't know how many times that's a throw for 300 plus yards for people to realize that doesn't work. Like people are looking at that 2019, a divisional loss to the Titans and thinking that's just canon. Like, bro, that was, I, I heard this stat earlier. There are only nine players left from that team. Like, it is entirely different Ravens offense, uh, entirely different Lamar, and people just are going to hold that against his head until, like, probably still he wins a Super Bowl, honestly. But I think the reason why I say bag of tricks is because Lamar Jackson is one of the most unpredictable quarterbacks in the league. And I don't mean it in the sense of, like, yeah, we know he's either going to run or he's going to pass. But, like, when he gets out in the open field, you don't know which way he's going to go. We've seen him put defenders on their behinds ten times. And I just think that, let's say, for example, Nick Bolton or Willie Gay or Justin Reed, whoever they have as the spy, is on him like clockwork, kind of like we saw in the first half of the Texans game when Christian Harris was in his face at all times. When Lamar doesn't have that space to move, what can the off, what is the offense going to look like? Because like I said, in the first half um, against Houston, Baltimore had a lot of drives where they weren't able to go anywhere because Houston didn't allow him that space to work. He wasn't able to get out in the open field or hit those edges. And so I think that when Baltimore, or at least when Lamar can't do that, it does lead to some problems. So I would say that's probably their biggest weakness is how to adjust when that happens. But all right, what about Kansas City? Kansas City, I mean, even though they've improved, I, I think their biggest weakness is just their lack of weapons on offense. Um, I know that Travis Kelsey started to regain his form and look like himself. And Rasheed Rice has kind of um, made some key plays for them in these past couple games. But, like, you're going up against a defense that has um, players that can impact those guys very well. Like, you have Patrick Queen, Roquan, and Kyle Hamilton that could potentially match up against – Travis Kelsey and slow him down. You have Marlowe coming back that can slow down Rasheed Rice. Like, they don't necessarily have another guy that I think is trustworthy enough to make the play if those two guys be slowed down. Yeah, I feel that. I'm going to go on the defensive side of the ball. Again, This their defense has been very good this season. But their rush defense is mid. Like, right now, they – well, this season they ranked 18th in the NFL in terms of rushing yards allowed. You're going up against the best rushing offense in the league who is coming off a game where they just rushed for 229 yards against the Texans defense that was, like, third in rushing this year. And I understand, you know, when you go up against Baltimore, you expect the run. But if your run defense is not right, if you are not playing damn near perfect – 
it's going to be a very long game. And obviously Lamar Jackson is going to throw and he's going to have to throw in situations. But if Baltimore can get in situations where they can just keep punching you in the mouth over and over and over and over again, that defense is going to get tired and it's going to open up a lot of things downfield in the passing game. So I would say that's their biggest weakest. All right, what? who do you feel is Baltimore's biggest X factor? Who do I feel like is their biggest X factor? I'm going to say Jadavion Clowney. Um, he had a resurgence season, which I think, did he put up 10 sacks? Nine and a half. Nine and a half. Which ties but a career high, which is crazy to think about. That is insane. But uh, I think, like, everyone, like, the defense as a whole is going to play solid. But I think if he's able to get to Patrick a little bit and, like, make him uncomfortable in the pocket, I think that could, especially depending upon if, well, I'm not going to even say if. I think y'all going to do it. Uh, shut down the run and, like, kind of make them more dimensional. I think he has to win his matchups. Agreed. Um, for me, I'm going to say Odell. Like, I know there's a stat going around that's, like, that's, I think it's, if I have the figures right, it's like this season he signed a $15 million deal and he's making like 568000 per catch. And I think people will look at the numbers and think, oh, this was like a letdown year for Odell. But if you think about, A, how often Baltimore runs the ball, B, how the targets are dispersed, and C, like the impact of those throws, you see, oh, Odell's been a really big factor for Baltimore. And I know, like I said, it may not show up on a box score, but I think that this could really be one of those games where Odell steps up and one of those games where Odell is called upon because, simply put, nobody's tripping off Odell. Like, obviously, everybody's worried about Lamar. Everybody's worried about the run game. Zay Flowers, who's been amazing. Mark Andrews is coming back. And so, Isaiah Likely, who's been holding it down at tight end. And so, now... Everybody's kind of like, eh, well, we don't even know if Odell is that guy no more. Well, this is his opportunity to show you. And because he'll have, I guess for lack of a better term, that element of surprise, I think that if he's able to have one of those big games or come up with those big catches on early downs to help set up Baltimore with great field position or at least like make those third downs more manageable, I think Odell could be a really big driving force for the offense this week. But all right, what about uh, Kansas City? Who's their X factor? For them... I'm going to say, I'm honestly going to say whoever they put in a position to spy Lamar, uh, whether it be Nick Bolton or whoever, because I think, like, the Texans, I, they did a good job once they put the spy up and they blitzed. But I think, like, Kansas City might take some of that from them. Uh, but I think whoever they have in their spy position, if they hold up, then they can slow Lamar down. That could that could be beneficial, but if Lamar get out, he still cooked them, then and he gets chunks of yardage while the throwing or passing. I think the Ravens might take this one in convincing fashion. Yeah, I also have uh, whoever is the QB spy, whether it be Nick Bolton, Willie Gay. I wouldn't think they would do Justin Reed because I mean you got to have somebody covering the tight end. But, yeah, whoever is the spy is going to be the most important player on the field for them. All right, last but not least, who wins? Who comes out on top? The Ravens. Knocking on wood because I Lord knows I hope so. All right, let's ask. Let's talk the same things with the Detroit Lions 
and San Francisco 49ers. Um, if you ask me, I think the 49ers' biggest strength is weapons galore. We kind of talked about it, kind of questions about whether or not Debo Samuel is going to play. Obviously, they are better when Debo is on the field, but they have a lot of other weapons that they can rely on. Christian McCaffrey, who we talked about for much of the year, was a realistic MVP candidate. George Kittle is the man at tight end, especially when he's healthy. Uh, Brandon Ayuk is having a great year. I just think that with those three guys, and if you're able to add in Debo, it can be a lot, and I do mean a lot to handle for any defense. For me, uh, I think their strength is they just got playmakers on both sides of the ball, not even just offense, but defense. But you listed out all the guys on offense, but when you think about their defense, they have Nick Bosa, they have Chase Young, even though he hasn't lived up to what people wanted him to. They still have Javon Hargrave, they have Drake Greenlaw, they have Fred Warner. Like, they have guys that could potentially make an impact play on, at multiple levels on offense and on defense. And I think, like, that a lot of teams don't have it on both sides of the ball. They have it on one or the other. Phil. Um, all right. Talking about the Detroit Lions, um, I think their biggest strength is that run game is nasty. Like, all season, I know you kind of look at what Amon Ross, St. Brown was able to do, Sam Laporta balling out at receiver, but a lot of the plays that they were able to make were set up by the run game. The Lions, I mean, it's kind of thunder and lightning with Jameer Gibbs and Dave Montgomery. I know last week Dave, Dave Montgomery was just kind of meh, but, I mean, Jameer Gibbs has just been on fire. And just being able to have both of those guys in the backfield wreaking havoc, I mean, it makes them so hard to defeat because – not only are they punching you in the mouth, but they're also chewing up time, which helps out their defense, which I'll get to in a second, that has some of its own deficiencies, and it kind of forces all opposing offenses in a tough spot because they don't have as much time and opportunities to work with because the Lions are chewing up the play clock with their run game. Oh, uh, yeah. Everything that you just said, I think the run game is their biggest strength. I mean, and it also, like, everybody's been talking about this resurgence of Jared, uh, Jared Goff. Like, when you think about it, if you have a strong run game, it makes the passing game and the role and the role and reads of a quarterback so much easier because, like, everybody's so wary and so sold out on the run that, like, you can benefit from that. So the run game is the base strength. All right. Now, talking weaknesses, um, can for me with the 49ers, can you trust Brock Purdy? Last week, he was fine. Like, he didn't necessarily lose the 49ers the game, obviously, but he it took a long time for him to actually make some, like, real game-winning throws and game-winning decisions. And, again, like, Brock Purdy's not, well, for most of the time, he's not a guy who's going to throw the game away for you, but sometimes you just want to see that firepower. Like, and I think it – I know he mentioned recently in the interview, like, you know, Patrick Mahomes, the Lamars, the Josh Allen's, they're great, but that's them. He's his own quarterback, and so it's not totally fair to compare them. But when you see these other quarterbacks putting the team on their back and doing everything they can to get them those wins, it makes it hard to kind of look at Brock Purdy, who's kind of like a product of his environment. And so if the run game's not working, if Brent Ayuk's not able to get or open, or George Kittle's not having the game, we really had yet to see Brock Purdy kind of put the team on his back and make things happen. For me, I am going to say I agree with the Brock Purdy statement, but I'm going to say the offensive line outside of Trent Williams. Oh, it's bad. <laughs> it is so bad. 
it's it's real bad. It's and like the the Lions defense defensive front, like they they aren't the greatest outside of maybe Aiden Hutchinson, but like St. Fran's O line outside of Trent is really, really bad. And Aiden Hutchinson lines up on the right tackle anyway, so it don't matter. Yeah. Um all right, moving on to the uh, biggest – oh, shit. Uh, my weakness for the Detroit Lions is their secondary is very spotty. Like, we've seen them – that secondary get tore up time and time again this season. They just got tore up this past weekend um, against the Bucks. I mean, Mike Evans, like, he had some drops, but he was doing whatever he wanted to to them boys. And we've seen that all year long. And, again, the 49ers got guys who can tear you up. And you talked about it. Like, Aiden Hutchinson is great, but the rest of that defensive line kind of struggles to get consistent pressure. And so if their corners or DBs are out there on the island, I got a hard time picking them to win their matchups against San Francisco. My weakness for the Lions is the secondary, like you said. Like, outside of – Deion Branch and to an extent CJ Garner Johnson the rest of them boys they not up to snuff Brian Branch cool but I don't trust him one on one against Brandon Ayuk oh no absolutely not that's my boy though he's great but nah Chauncey he's starting to get a little bit I mean he kind of benefited on the tip drill pick last week but he's definitely the most experienced of the bunch um alright each team's biggest X factor for San Francisco, I'm going to say Debo Samuel. I'm not going to go as far as Stephen A. did when he said the 49ers are not beating Detroit without Debo. I don't believe that. I think they can still do it. But I'll say this. I think it will be a much tougher game for Detroit to go blow for blow if Debo is out there on the field just because of all the things that Debo can do. For me, I got to go with Brock Purdy. Um, Again, you, you mentioned it couple seconds ago he's not the guy that's going to go out and win you a game but I feel like this is the type of game where that might be the situation and can he do it all right uh moving on to our biggest x factors for the Lions I'm going Brian Branch you just talked about him I mean I think it's very safe to say he's been their best defensive back all season he's been just a dude back there and he's going to have to be that on Sunday. I mean, going. I'm sure a lot of his time is going to be spent lined up against George Kittle, who you know is going to get targeted quite a bit because, again, who going to stop him? And I think that for him, like as a rookie, you know, you never want to let the moment get too big for you. And this is going to be a big test of that. Like you're going up against these powerhouses. How are you going to hold your own? How are you going to step up? For me, from the line side, I'm going to say they're linebackers um, because, granted, I know that their O-line, I mean, their D-line doesn't get pressure, but I think the 49ers are going to try to establish the run, and if you're able to slow that down, very kind of similar to what I said about the Ravens' defense against KC, if you can stop the run and slow the run down and make them one-dimensional, yes, I know they have weapons everywhere, but they don't have the quarterback that I feel like can just beat you by himself. Yeah, agreed. Um, also, it's just reported that uh, 
Lions starting left guard Jonah Jackson is going to be out, so that'll definitely be something to watch. Um, but all right, last but not least, most important thing: who do you think wins the game? I I think San Fran is gonna take it. Yeah, I think so too. And I'm not saying I think that the Lions are going to get blown out, but it would not shock me if they lost like 31 to 20. I think I don't think it's gonna be like a field goal game. Say that much. But all right, last thing: uh, the offensive, defensive, and rookie players we're watching this week for you, starting off on offense. Offensively, I am watching. I'm watching Lamar. Uh, I just want to see him keep silencing the doubters and doing his thing. Uh, offensively, I'm watching Jared Goff. Kind of a similar thing, obviously not to the same extent of Lamar. We talked about how great this run game is, but I feel like with the way that the Packers just played against the Niners last week, I think they're going to try to key in on it and force Jared Goff to beat them. And if they do get in that situation, I want to see whether or not Jared Goff can do it. For me, defensively, uh, I'm watching a couple guys, but mainly the guys I'm watching are the linebackers of the Ravens and the 49ers. Uh, I'm going to say Kyle Hamilton. I mean, that's pretty much the matchup a lot of people are looking forward to in this Ravens and Chiefs game is Kyle Hamilton versus Travis Kelsey. I don't think that's always going to be the case. It wouldn't shock me if he's on him maybe 50% of the snaps. But, I mean, Kyle Hamilton's been having a terrific year. And Travis Kelsey, by all indications, is having a bit of a down year. And no way am I downing Travis Kelsey saying he's not still the best tight end in the league. But I want to see Kyle Hamilton and how he holds his own against one of the best. Ricky, I'm watching. I'm watching Brian Branch. And then uh, last but not least, uh, yeah, my rookie is going to be Rasheed Rice. I mean, we kind of talked about the passing game. The Chiefs really haven't had anybody else, or at least no wide receivers really step up outside of him. Baltimore, you saw what we did last week to Nico Collins. Let's do the same thing. All right, what team are you calling out this weekend? Calling y'all out. I need y'all for multiple reasons. I need y'all to take the Chiefs out. But the biggest reason, and me and you were talking about this a ton off air, I don't want Taylor Swift to make it to the Super Bowl because I don't want them, when I watch the Super Bowl, for them to pay to her like 10 plus times a game. And you know they're going to. Um, my Obviously, I'm calling out Baltimore too. Ain't nothing else that needs to be said. Let's just let's just handle our business. We like I I don't want to lose. Obviously, I understand it can happen though, but we can't lose with Ray Lewis, every Terrell Suggs in the house. We just can't. With the OGs in the crib. We can't. We can't. Like we need the deep luck. If the offense has its struggles, whatever. We need the defense to show out. <sighs> All right. So so hot take. Mm-hmm. No, nah, I ain't gonna do that because I ain't gonna even set you up like this. Never mind. No, 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 do it, do it. It's okay. I'm ready. What's up? I think they hold him to seventeen and below. That would not surprise me at all. That, uh, yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. But all I care is we score more than them. All right, let's. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. Uh, as we do every show, let's talk the Mamba players of the week. Out of the Eastern Conference, who is your Mamba? It's nobody. It can't be nobody else but Joel Embiid. Yeah, same. Um, what Western Mamba? Who you got? Western. I'm gonna go Anthony Edwards. 
Western Mamba, I'm going Kevin Durant this past Monday, a.k.a. anniversary of the 81-point game by Kobe Bean Bryant. KD didn't do nothing but hit the game winner, drop, what, 43, just had an immaculate game. 43, 50% from the field, 6 of 15 from three. Honestly, it probably shouldn't have took that much going up against the Bills, but even still, what's better to then represent the mom mentality than with a game winner? Uh, What about your rookie Mamba? Rookie mom, boo. I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go Wimby. Yeah, same. All right, let's go ahead and talk top three takeaways of the week. You can start us off. Top three takeaways. Um, man, it's wild. Like, trade deadline is hit. A team in New York makes a trade. And then this week they blow out the Denver Nuggets. And, like, I would have never thought that. But, yeah, just the, the resurgence of the Knicks. Like, I know for years, people, they've been on this, like, uh, iffy, like, are they, could they potentially make get over the hump? I don't necessarily think they can get over the hump. But just for regular season purposes, the way the Knicks have been playing has been really fun to just watch. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the Knicks. My number three is just going to be about uh, OG and Anobi and, like, his usage. Like, we always hear about time. Ta- Tom Thibodeau, like, running his players into the ground, and you got to make sure your cardio is at 110% to play for him. But considering his first few games with the Knicks, he was playing over 40 minutes, is just a testament to that. But it's working because, like you said, the Knicks are playing really, really well with one another, and I think that's going to have to be a key if they do want to potentially get over the hump. My number two, um, it's crazy to think, but also, like I've said it multiple times, but all signs, I think, are finally starting to show that the Warriors just aren't the Warriors anymore. The latest being Steph not being named an all-star starter. Like, that's been something that's been a consistent thing in the West for, like, close to a decade, if not a decade. Yeah, that was... I understand, like, the shock of it, but it's like, would you say he's played better than Shea or Luka? No. Exactly. So it's like, you know, I'll say this. Like, I don't think anybody's necessarily calling it a snub, but it is It is surprising. Um, My number two is low-key, like, I kind of talked about this last week. Like, it's rough with the injuries right now that the Grizzlies are going through. But, like, low-key, Vince Williams is a prime example of why signing a two-way contract can work out in your best favor. Like, the way he's been able to play these last few weeks, especially with increased minutes, and, I mean, obviously it's coming because people are hurt, but he's been really, really good. Like, this past game against Miami had 25-5-4 and four with his steal. Game for that, he had a double-double. Like, I just think that the Grizzlies at this moment are kind of making the best out of a bad situation. And it's kind of showing how good or how bad Taylor Jenkins is as a coach, because now like, obviously I'm not saying he's had the talent of like Steve Kerr, but like we saw what happened with Steve Kerr when everybody named mama was hurt. Like the Warriors were a lottery pick team. And obviously it's still a long way to go this season, but I think it'll be interesting to see how does Taylor Jenkins deal with this adversity? Your superstars are gone. They're hurt. How are you able to coach up these young guys to where you guys are at least competitive? Yeah. Um, it's funny you mentioned it. Cause I was, my, my number one takeaway is, is Grizzlies related. I think the grit because of all the injuries, the Grizzlies are starting to see the guys that they, that they can go with for the upcoming rest of the, not this season, but next season and seasons beyond. 
one of them being Vince Williams. Like, I think for the time being, he solidified, like, a role on this team next year. I think Gigi Jackson, I don't, I wouldn't say he solidified a role, but I think he's shown that he could be somebody that they can continue to, to develop. And we look up in two to three years, and he might be the starting small forward for the Memphis Grizzlies. And he might be, like, a nice piece for them um, in years to come. And then my number one is Carl Anthony Towns' 62-point game on Monday is a prime example of why box score watching does not tell the story. Because you don't watch the game, you see 62, like, oh, okay, he balled out. Nah, not really. First off, they lost, which in my opinion, if I don't care how many points you drop, if you have a big scoring output but you lose the game, it takes away a lot of the luster. And then you got to factor in like that. You said what? I said tell that to Devin Booker. I said what I said, and I still mean it. Um, And then also like when you hear like Joel Embiid dropped 70 that day, and so, like, his teammates are hearing this and they're trying to force-feed him the ball to get him to top 70. And, again, they still lost the game. It's just so frustrating because, like I said, like, you'll look back at one of this as, like, what his best scoring performance or one of his best scoring performances. But when you know the story, it makes it a lot less impressive. Oh, yeah, 100%. But I was going to move on to some roster moves around the NBA, starting with the Miami Heat. Um, it seemed like they were due to make a trade at some point. It was just a matter of who and when. Uh, we got those questions answered a few days ago uh, where the Miami Heat uh, acquired Charlotte Hornets guard Terry Rozier in a package that sent Kyle Lowry and a future first-round pick to the Hornets. How do you like this trade for Miami? What do you think Scary Terry brings to South Beach? I think it's a good trade. I don't think it's like a uh, I don't think it's like an earth movers trade. But I think for Miami it brings in something that they needed. They need another score. And this has been if I'm not mistaken, I think this has been Terry Rosier's best season. I think he's averaging like twenty three point two point three, something like that. Mm-hmm. And been somewhat efficient. He's been efficient behind the three-point line. So I like the trade, but I don't think it's like, like I don't see it being like the, the trade that puts Miami in the finals again. Yeah, agreed. I mean, we talked about this off-air when it happened. Like, there was just so much smoke about Dame going to Miami. And then it's like, well, maybe they'll get DeJounte Murray. And they end up with Terry Rozier, which isn't a bad move at all because Terry Rozier is solid. And I think that, like, looking back, like, this is the right move for Miami, especially because, like, you run the risk of if you want to go after one of those big dogs or one of those bigger names, you obviously have to give up more. And this is a team that I'm not going to say they, like, have a talent deficiency, but everybody knows it is uh, Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler. Jamie uh, Jaquez has had some solid moments. Tyler Harrow is cool when he is healthy. But other than that, and Duncan Robinson is kind of inconsistent. But other than that, it's kind of like if you take away one of those core pieces, it could affect them down the line. And whereas getting a guy like Terry Rozier doesn't really have as much of an impact. And plus, it was about time they got rid of Kyle Lowry because he's done nothing. So it, because they were able to unload him and I think, what, a 20-29 first-round pick? Like, I think it was a good move. 
but kind of turning the page to Kyle Lowry, um, apparently the Miami, I mean, not Miami, the Charlotte Hornets have no immediate plans to work on a buyout with him and are thinking they could possibly trade him. Do you think a trade happens for Kyle Lowry? And if so, where? No, I don't like, I'm not going to say Kyle Lowry doesn't provide value to a team, but I think like, I don't, I don't see him being somebody where people are like, oh, we're going to make a trade for Kyle Lowry. Agreed. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I don't think so either. I could, I think a buyout is going to end up happening because again, like nobody's going to be like pounding the table to get Kyle Lowry. Um, but honestly, I just think it'd be poetic justice if he either ended up in Philly or um, Toronto and like retired after this season. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to some coaching changes. So this happened yesterday. Uh, it came out that Wes Unsell Jr., son of Washington Wizards legend, um, will be transitioning from a head coaching role to a front office position, the Washington Wizards uh, announced. And they also said that they're going to have an interim head coach for the meantime and then have a comprehensive search in the offseason. If this isn't a hey, man, we want to save you the grace of being fired. I ain't never seen one before. Yeah. They're doing him a solid because he's dead a legend for the organization. Yeah, and that's and that's fine because it's kind of like with Seattle. Like saying, yeah, Pete Carroll, he can move on to a front office position. In other words, we just don't want to say we fired you. But on to the more surprising move. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, after a 30-13 and 13 start to the season, have fired rookie head coach Adrian Griffin. Now, it's pretty safe to say that for on-court reasons, it's not why he got fired. And so everybody's been speculating about what has transpired. Um, according to Chris Haynes with EMB, uh with uh, Bleach Report, he said that reportedly Griffin had lost the locker room over time. Um, and they had a bit of a airing out session uh, after losing to the Pacers in the end season tournament. And just with the way that things were going, the Bucks front office felt like they needed to make a decision. Obviously, none of us were in the locker room. We don't know what transpired. But I am confident enough to say that when Giannis said that he was surprised that Adrian Griffin got fired, he was lying. He knew that they ran it. They had to run the decision by him. Um, but in your opinion, what do you think went wrong in the past three months? I think he just lost the locker room. I think, uh, like, from what I, from some of the stuff I've heard, like the way that Adrian Griffin was trying to run his defense and run, like, certain plays, the players just didn't agree with it. And then it just became a point where I think they got fed up with it and were like, yeah. Like, one of them being you have Damian Lillard and you have Giannis and you don't run pick and roll. Yeah, that's a bad look. Now, do you think that they should have let him finish this season out? No. I mean, I, maybe, but if if you're losing, if you're losing the locker room, I'm going to say no. It's a weird situation because I think that it's crazy. It'd be one thing if they had a losing record. If they had a losing record up to this point, I'm like, okay, yeah, like it made a lot of sense, but – I get I can understand the logic of a hey, it's not really working it's no point of continuing on and it's not working hoping things change 
Because, I mean, let's be honest. Like, the Bucks are a team with a championship window. Like, I don't know if I'd say for them it's championship or bust, but it's pretty close to those types of stakes. And if you already feel like the players feel like and the front office feel like this isn't the coach that's going to help us get there, then you got to make a change. Something's got to happen. Um, and so in response to firing Griffin, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks one day later hired uh, Doc Rivers to be their new head coach. Um, he went on to sign a $40 million contract that runs through the 2026-2027 season. Do you think that Doc Rivers is the coach that can take the buck, get the Bucks over the hill and back into a NBA in the back into the NBA finals? Mm, no, I, being honest, if the Bucks make it to the NBA finals, I don't think it's going to be because of Doc. I think it's going to be because they have Giannis and they have. And they basically have their same core. I think the one thing that Doc can do to help them in their regard is bring back a defensive and not even intensity, but a defensive philosophy that can get them to being another good defensive team in the league. Like, I know um, um, they are like they were like 22nd in defensive rating and they want to be better on defense and Doc is kind of more of a defensive centric coach so I think that could be the only piece that could maybe allude them to it but then but I don't think he'll be the reason they make it to the finals yeah agreed not to say like Doc is a good coach I mean we've talked about this many a time I've never seen anybody live off one ring more but I think that, again, it's just, I think we've seen this movie time and time again. Like, we saw him in L.A. with the Clippers. A team that had the talent, couldn't do it. A team like, um, what's it called, Philly, had the talent, couldn't do it. And I think that, not to say that he would stand in the way of them winning a championship, I just don't know if he's a coach that elevates a team enough to get them in the championship conversation. And again, like if you're a team like the Bucks that have this championship window, I want a guy like that. But you also kind of have to understand that like there's only so many guys who are coaching like that. And so you kind of have to go with not necessarily what's available, but your next best option. I mean, of the available coaches, I, I could see an argument for Doc Rivers being the best one left, but I just don't know if he's going to be able to help them do it. But all right, last thing um, before we make our Royal Rumble predictions, let's play a quick game of Believable or Buffoonery. Um, last week, the Miami uh, Heat honored longtime NBA vet uh, Udonis Haslam by retiring his number 40 jersey. And, and Steven Jackson, former NBA vet, made a post about it saying, earn not given, salute my boy, big congrats. And then the biggest player hater in all of sports, Paul Pierce, uh, took time out of his day to comment under that. This one given, bro, just saying. Udonis Haslam, who always has a retort, uh, saw Paul Pierce's comments and said, my first reaction was to choose violence, but I'm going to spare because I know you ain't like that. You're entitled to your own opinion, my boy. So, believable or buffoonery, Udonis Haslam didn't earn his jersey retirement by the Miami Heat. 
He definitely did. Agreed. Like, just because, like, statistically, he may not blow people out of the water. Like, he has played a key role in what we know as Miami Heat culture. Yeah. All right, last thing. Kevin Durant, who is arguably the greatest shooter of all time, one of the best scoring threats that the NBA has ever seen, he gets those accolades, but after that, it is hard for him to get much higher. And so in a recent interview uh, with Dwayne Rankin of Arizona Republic, he talked about that and talked about why he felt like he should be in the GOAT conversation. He said, because I went to the Warriors, why shouldn't I be in that? That's the question you should ask. Why not? What haven't I done? So, believable or buffoonery, KD should be in the GOAT convo. I'm telling you now, I think it's buffoonery. Oh. A hundred thousand percent. Like you, you like you. For one, you only have one championship, in my opinion. And I know people go, "Oh, some like it's a team sport." In my opinion, in order for you to be considered the greatest of all time, you have to have multiple rings. Yeah. Not only that, but it's like. You have to undoubtedly, in my opinion, like, be the guy. And that doesn't mean you are strictly the best player, but you have to be the guy that this franchise relies on. And OKC, he was that guy. It didn't lead to a championship. Sucks, but you move on. With Golden State, was he the best player on the court? Sure. Was that his team? Absolutely not. You go to Brooklyn. Don't win a ring, so that kind of disqualifies you right there. And then we'll see what happens with Phoenix. Like, and I think it's like, I don't think anybody would argue that Kevin Durant is one of the best shooters and best scoring talents the NBA has ever seen. But for me to consider you to be the best of the best, I don't think he's done enough to do that. And also, if you're going to be the best of the best, you got to be better. You got to be great at something other than scoring. You have to have more of a well-versed game. But all right, let's make our uh, nightly game predictions. Uh, starting off with the Houston Rockets versus the Charlotte Hornets. I got Rockets. Rockets. Uh, Phoenix Suns versus the Indiana Pacers. I got Suns. Suns. Dallas Mavericks versus the Atlanta Hawks. I'm going Dallas. Well, actually, no, I'm going Hawks because I don't think Kyrie's playing. Dallas. Uh, Los Angeles Clippers versus the uh, Toronto Raptors. I'm going Clippers. Clippers. Orlando Magic versus the Memphis Grizzlies. I'm going Grizzlies. I don't care. Uh, yeah, I'm going Grizzlies too. Cleveland Cavaliers versus the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm going Bucks. Bucks. Oklahoma City Thunder versus the New Orleans Pelicans. I'm going Thunder. Thunder. And last but not least, Portland Trail Blazers versus the San Antonio Spurs. Battle of the Rookies. I'm going I'm gonna go Trail Blazers. Trail Blazers. Alright, now to my favorite part of the show. Let's go ahead and move on and talk our Royal Rumble predictions. Alright, and now it is time to talk some WWE, the first WWE discussion of the year. And so you know what that means. It's not just going to be me. It's not only going to be Big E, but it's also my embryo, my embryo, my embryo. Chris Waters. Hey, buddy. How you doing? What is going on? I'm doing good. How y'all doing? I'm swell. 
How you doing, Ethan? I'm good. Uh, I'm single following for the week, but it's been great. You got it. <laughs> Strong, independent black man. You got this. Yeah, you got it, man. I'm going to send you uh, uh, support, you know. I, I got you. You good. And, you, and also, this is the perfect time to show EJ the greatness of wrestling and football because it's going to be a great football weekend. By the way, we are recording this part before the main show. You would have heard everything we had to say before that. Um, but, yes, Royal Rumble, my favorite pay-per-view of the year. Can't wait to get to those predictions. But first, we got some other things to talk about in the wrestling world. First things first, it was announced yesterday that – Monday Night Raw is making the move from USA Network to Netflix starting next January. WWE and Netflix have signed a 10-year, $5 billion deal to get this done. Fellas, what were your thoughts when you heard this? Do you think this is a good idea? Or should Raw stick to cable? Embryo, you can start since you are the extra special guest. <laughs> Um, five billion. What I do with five billion? Um, I know that's right. Uh, I think it's pretty cool going to Netflix. Um, having raw Netflix. But uh, my question would be, you know, I just dropped down to one screen. You know, to save money on these Netflix prices, and now it's gonna go right back up because you know they're gonna up their prices for WWE. But uh, I think it's pretty good. Um, I get to watch it more if it's on Netflix. I think a lot of people use Netflix anyway, you know, a lot of people don't have cable, so I think it's going to help uh, Raw in the long run, so I think it's a smart choice, and uh, I'm pretty excited to see how it goes. Ethan? Uh, honestly, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I have Netflix, I have, like, DirecTV to watch sports, so regardless of what it was going to be on, I have the access to watch it. I think the big thing for me is, is like, are y'all just going to move, basically move the WWE Network eventually to Netflix? Oh, I hope not. Because if that's the thing, if that's going to be a thing, I don't, I feel like, I don't know how I like it. I kind of, it's just like Netflix extra with a lot of stuff. Um, But, if it's just raw, I don't care. Um, I will say this. If y'all trying to make changes, cut raw down to like two hours instead of three because there's a lot of pointless stuff that be going on. Um, if you're going to make me watch Netflix, I'd rather watch it an hour less time. So apparently, because I was talking about this with Embryo off the show, um, apparently like it's still going to be three hours. And if you have like a Netflix subscription, it's going to be commercial free. How does that look? Who knows? But it's still gonna be three hours. <laughs> I mean, real quick, I actually like that raw three hours. Sometimes, I mean, yeah, sometimes they do put pointless stuff on there. But I also, when you watch the SmackDown, I, I find myself like thinking sometimes they're just rushing through things because they only have two hours and they want to make sure they got enough time for the main event. I feel like you know, three hours is like the right length to, to me, but. Sometimes they do have a lot of pointless stuff on there. I'm not going to lie about that, but Raw has been better since, you know, Triple H took over. See, I don't mind Raw being three hours when it's not football season because the game is already three-plus hours, and I'm trying to watch both at the same time because they start at the same time. And so, like, when it's not football season, I don't have something else taking my attention away from it, 
And so I don't have to, like, be paying half attention. But when it's football season, it could be two hours. It's fine. It's easier to just focus on one thing at a time. But also also when WWE weekly shows change in channels, starting in October of this year, SmackDown is moving to USA Network, and NXT in that same month is going to be moving to the CW, a.k.a. Uh, WWE on Fox is coming to an end, which kind of sucks because, you know, you don't have to worry about paying for cable for that, but I'm not that surprised that it's happening. I don't know. NXT going to CW. I feel like they're going to lose viewership. I don't I don't know if many people still watch the CW like that. You know, CW for a while, which I know was pretty big for the, like, DC universe because I like to watch Arrow and all that. So that's where a lot of their fan base came from. So uh, NXT going to CW, I don't know. I'm a little, it's a little sketchy with me. You got to see how that goes. But um, SmackDown to Raw, it's just weird. So I've been so used to Raw being on the USA. It's going to be weird. But um, I think SmackDown will be okay because a lot of the fan base are pretty much used to watching USA for wrestling. So they are pretty much there. I think they'll be an easy um, switch. But the NXT to the CW, I don't know about that. I just don't. Embro, you must not have been watching SmackDown when it was on CW. I was watching the hell out of CW, so I I'm okay. Yeah, I grew up watching SmackDown. I guess I guess that's just my memory loss. I, I grew up watching SmackDown with Batista, Undertaker, Rey Mysterio, all them. Yeah. So yeah. that was on the CW. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So oh, I'm old. Man, I'm old. Yeah. It wasn't called CW at the time. It was called UPN. Yeah. And then oh. I think they were still there when they moved over to CW, but shortly after that they moved. But either way, they okay, WWE okay. has been on CW before, so I think it'll they be were okay. there when they switched from UPN. This show, I'm old. I'm feeling it now. Because you make me think like, oh, dang, I'm actually thirty. So <laughs> UPN. And then they switched to WB before they switched to the CW, and they were only when it was WB, and they got they sw- they left uh, before they became the CW. Yeah. In other words, hmm. Oh my bad. I'm, like, I'm just thinking that you're right because around that time, Smallville used to come on there, Supernatural. Yeah, you're right. I'm starting the memory coming back. Hey, I'm old man. The memory coming back now. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I got it. Old living in the womb. All right, let's go ahead and move on to another form <laughs> of popular media. Something that we were literally just talking about before we started recording, WWE 2K. And this week it was announced that Cody Rhodes was going to be on the standard edition cover while Bianca Belair and Rhea Ripley became the first two women to be on a WWE cover. They will be on the deluxe edition now, y'all might know this. I'm not sure. I know they had, like, another graphic of, like, 40 years of WrestleMania. Was that to promote the game mode, or was that a separate cover? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. Well, between Cody's cover, which is dope, as well as Bianca and Rhea's cover, which one do y'all think is better? I like all of them. That's not the you know answering the question. I like all the covers, but if I had to choose one, 
Uh, I kind of like Riz. I, I, I really like all three of them. I'm not going to lie. But if I had to choose one, I like Riz. You know, uh, Why is it just Riz? Riz? Why are you just saying Riz? Like, she's the only one on the cover. Because that's money. And, B- and Bianca's an EST. What's your point? Okay. What's your, well, look, one of them are champion. The other two are not, if you want to go there. Touche. <laughs> Touche. I will let that ride, but... You know who I am. You know what this is. We do not disrespect Bianca Belair in this house. Um, Embryo. Uh, I know, I know. Embryo, it's okay, though. Ethan, what do you think? Being honest, ever since I started solely buying my game digitally, my, like, my interest in video games covers died down completely. That's fair. Because I don't buy physical copies. Um, but if I would have to say... I gotta go with Rhea and Bianca. Um, Cause I mean, like no knock on Cody, but like, I think it's just cool that they don't have two women on the cover. And like, I'm a big fan of Bianca and you know how I feel about Rhea, so. I also agree. I think it's the better cover. And like you, like, I haven't, especially with my uh, Series S, I don't have the one where, like, you have, a, like, a slit to, like, put a hard copy in. So I have to get the digital one. And even though I like the Rhea and Bianca cover more, do I want to pay that extra 20 some dollars for the deluxe edition of this game? <laughs> you know the yes. answer to that question. But they have the better cover, and it's dope. Yeah. You should. You should pay for. You gotta. Uh, you gotta support your EST. You, you gotta do it. How many Bianca shirts I got? Oh, uh, we ain't talk about that. We talk about the two case. I'm still supporting. She's still getting a check, <laughs> regardless. No, nah, well, no. Nah, I think you need to buy that cover to show your real support. That's just my personal opinion. Oh, okay. So you gonna buy a Bobby Lashley belt when he win one, with the name plates hey, and absolutely. all? Absolutely. Hold on, not the nameplate. That's, that's oh, no, 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 no. Because it's just a belt then. If you don't have the nameplate, it doesn't specify who's the champion. I'm pretty sure the belt costs way more than the 2K. That's not the point. We weren't talking about that. You didn't care about cost on my end. Why should I care about cost on yours? But all right, let's go ahead and move on <laughs> to Seth Rollins. Uh, this past weekend, it was announced that he suffered a torn MCL and I believe a partially torn, torn meniscus as well. And while there were talks about him potentially missing WrestleMania, he cleared up those rumors on Monday Night Raw saying that he expects to be back um, before then since he's not going to have surgery, which would have gave him a three to four month timetable. Um, when discussing the injury today in a recent interview, he said that he's hoping to be back within a month. And he also hopes that his first match back won't take place at WrestleMania. Now, when we first heard about the injury, we're talking about what comes next. If Seth had to miss mania and vacate the title, but now that he doesn't have to do that, do you think that's going to change WWE's plans at all? Or do you think they still may have a contingency plan just in case Seth Rollins can't go, or at least not to the same speed that we've gotten used to him doing it. What do you think, Ethan? I think they should have a contingency plan because a torn, uh, a torn anything, especially ligaments in your knee, like those are things that typically typically take longer to heal than are suggested. So him thinking it might be a month. It could end up being longer than me. So I think they should have a contingency plan. Embryo? 
Yeah, I definitely have another plan. Um, I hate that uh, they put it out there. You know, well, in the interview, yeah, you know, he's trying to come back, but I wouldn't just bet money because even if he comes back, he's not going to be at 100%, and you don't want him to hurt himself even worse. You know, he's already going to be pushing himself to try to get back before WrestleMania, but I would never have another plan because, you know, like Ethan said, Stuff, stuff don't go as planned. You know, he's going to try his best, but you just don't know how he's going to heal up, you know. So I would definitely have a backup plan. Agreed. Now, this was the first time on Monday also. It was like the first time that Gunther and Seth Rollins were in the ring together. I know everybody's thinking it's going to be Seth and CM Punk, and probably so. But if you had to give a percent chance of it being Gunther and Seth at Mania, what would you say? Embryo, you can go first. A percent? Mm-hmm. Um, 10% chance, not a high one. Um, I think things are already planned out. Even if it's a new plan, I don't, you know, Seth can't wrestle. Um, Gunther is not going to be fighting for the... I don't think he's going to be fighting for the World Heavyweight Championship. There's some CM Punk and somebody else could do, maybe Drew, like we talked about um, off, you know, you know, uh, on the phone. But uh, I, I don't give it a high chance at all. I think Gunther has his own story he has to do with the Intercontinental Championship. Ethan? Yeah, I, I give it like 25 because I agree. Like, Gunther has his own story is in place that he has to tell and it's just like it's a, like Gunther is a big name but you have other names that are somewhat bigger than his already more positioned somewhat in the world title picture like you have I'm not going to say CM Punk because I still don't think he deserves it but you can say it for the sake of saying it but like somebody like Damian Priest and Drew McIntyre those are the people that I could see being the individuals that like get the opportunity if um self isn't able to go also speaking of damian priest he's an idiot if i have the money in the bank briefcase i'm not doing the royal rumble what's the point who cares (laughs) i got my title match guaranteed now i agree i don't think it's gonna happen but truth be told i'd rather see gunther and cm punk i mean not gunther cm punk gunther and seth rollins over seth rollins and cm punk i think it'd be a much better match I agree. Yeah, you know, I, I love Mr. CM Punk. I agree 100% with that. Uh, it would be a way better match. Um, even, um, I, I actually agree with what Ethan said, too. You know, CM Punk, he just only came back. He doesn't deserve it. But that's what they do. The Rock don't deserve what he's about to get. But, hey. Who said he's he going to get it? Probably about to be a big match. He's not going to get it. Uh, I, I think he's going to get it. But I agree with Ethan saying, you know, stars coming back and just – getting in big matches, but story it's a better story with Seth and CM Punk in my opinion, but better, better, who had a better match? Seth and Gunther hands down. I would not disagree with that. Well, you mentioned big names coming back. The Royal Rumble is always a time for that. And so let's go ahead and make our predictions. And also, before we make these predictions, I have to admit to y'all, I dropped the ball. Because in the past, when you won year-end predictions, like you had the best record... You got an extra pick at the Royal Rumble. I'm not going to do that this year. But just know, starting this year, whoever is the psychic of the year, quote-unquote, Royal Rumble comes, you get an extra pick. Because you already get two. 
You get to pick who you want and who you actually think is going to win. Also, oh, okay. huh? I just said, okay. And you want to hear something very sad? I'll tell you anyway. 2020 Royal Rumble, <laughs> I had the extra pick. I had three picks. I think I picked Edge. Who shit? Who did I pick? It was Edge, I think Braun Strowman, and somebody else. And all three of them were wrong. Drew McIntyre won. So. Not surprised. Not surprised at all. Okay, first off, screw you. And secondly, <laughs> but yes, so next year, whoever has the most wins, you get the pick. And unfortunately, it's not a guarantee you're going to win it because I literally struck out. But all right, let's go ahead and start things off with the United States Championship match. We have Logan Paul defending his title against Kevin Owens. Ethan, who you got? I mean, as much as I want Kevin Owens to win, it just doesn't make sense to take the title off Logan Paul. He just won it. And he has, like, real heat because of his whole outside-of-the-ring lifestyle and persona. So, Logan Paul. Embryo, who you got? Yeah, I would love to see Kevin Owens win, but I'm going with Logan Paul. I don't have no deep reason for it other than I don't see him probably losing that belt until WrestleMania, probably. He might win at WrestleMania, but I see him holding it to WrestleMania, so I'm going Logan Paul. I'm probably going to be wrong, but I'm going to go Kevin Owens, mainly because Logan Paul hasn't done anything with that title since he got it. And the only person he's really had beef with is Kevin Owens. And I could see them potentially trying to set up maybe like Logan Paul versus LA Knight at WrestleMania. But it's like Logan Paul's barely been there. He hasn't had a match since he won it. I have a hard time believing they're all of a sudden just going to start cooking up storylines for him the last and next three months. But he's probably still going to win. But I, I'm still going to pick Kevin Owens. All right, moving on to the undisputed WWE Championship match. Uh, we have our tribal chief, Roman Reigns, defending his title against Randy Orton, AJ Styles, and LA Knight. Embryo, who you got? Oh, how much. I would love to just say Randy will win because that would be a good story. You got to go with the tribal chief, Roman Reigns. We all know his story is going to continue to WrestleMania, and I don't see them ruining it now. So I'm going tribal chief. Ethan, who you got? Same. It doesn't make sense to have him lose before Mania. Yeah, I'm also going Roman. Loki, this will be the perfect time to take the title off him and still make him look strong. Just have him not be involved in the pin or the submission. But, you know, he's got to hold the title till Mania. But I think it should be a fun match, especially because it's only four matches on the card. So this match should actually get some time. Ooh. So it should be dope. But all right, let's so go I, ahead. I wanna... I'm sorry, go ahead. I want to I just say one thing, you know, I agree with you. If the if if they want to really do the rock, I, I I've been saying for the longest rock and Roman don't need a belt. So I would I would love for Randy to win if they were still gonna do the rock versus Roman because I don't want the belt on the line for that. But like Ethan said, you know, you just don't see them taking the belt off of him. Yeah. Um, before WrestleMania, especially because you know Roman would have to get his rematch regardless. And so yeah. either that would be at Mania or you do it at um Elimination Chamber. But from what I saw, he's not even, like, being advertised for the show. Which, fun fact, did you know that that show, like, since it's in Australia, I think that mug is going to air at, like, 4 or 5 a.m. 
Yes. Uh, it's gonna be like on a Saturday, if I'm correct. I believe so. Saturday or Sunday. You, you we watching it together, buddies, friends. We watching it live. Uh, uh, I don't know, man. You know, sometimes I work on Saturdays. So who knows? I'm not gonna lie to you. I don't think I'm gonna be able to do it. As as embryo likes to remind me, I don't get no sleep. So you don't. You think you I'm gonna don't. get up at five a.m. Now, if I'm already up and I just say f and I'm gonna stay up all night, that's one thing. But you think I'm gonna wake up out of my slumber at five a.m. to watch wrestling? You're out of your mind. <laughs> Unless it's Montez Ford, you know, has a championship match. Then you know what? I'll wake up for that because I he deserves his opportunity. But back to opportunities. Let's go ahead and make our women's Royal Rumble predictions. As I mentioned a bit ago, for multi-people matches like the Rumble, we get two picks. We get who we want to win and who we think are going to win. I've been letting y'all go first. I'm going to take my time this chance. I want Naomi to win because I think she is going to come back. I think she has like, I know she's being advertised for like, I think the next episode of TNA. But I think after that, she's she's free as a bird. I think she shows up. And who I think actually wins, I've been wrestling with this a lot. I think Bailey wins for storyline purposes. She gets jumped by damage control. Finally, it sets up her and EO at Mania. Hmm. That's a, that's a nice take. I'm not going to lie. That was a real nice take. Oh, my gosh. Embryo's giving uh, me a compliment. Must be a full moon. Don't get used to it. Don't, don't, I know. Don't I'm not. I'm not. You can't afford for that to happen. Um, you really just changed one of my picks. No. Uh, no, really I didn't. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. Because, you know, Bailey, my girl, you know, I mess with Bailey. No, and, you um, don't. I, I do mess with Bailey. She, well, I, what you mean? You only mess with the women on your roster. What are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. So, mm. Bailey, I would like for Bailey to win, but who I think is going to win, uh, I want ba- I, I would like for Bailey to win out of everything you just said, you know, because Damage Control have been, like, just treating her wrong. And um, sooner or later, they're going to drop her and kick her out, and that would be a good story to tell her winning and going against EO. But I really think they're probably going to let Becky Lynch win yeah. to set up her versus Zaria. Which I don't mind at all. I think it's sometimes the easy choice is the best choice. You know, um, having Becky win. And could, would this be Becky's second Royal Rumble win? Yes. Yeah, have her win and choose uh, Rhea. I'm down for that. So uh, I want Bailey to win, but I believe Becky's going to win. I just feel like they could set up Becky versus Rhea without her winning the Royal Rumble. Because let's be honest, who else on that roster is going is a realistic competitor for Rhea and Mania. I mean, unless I <laughs> unless your unless your girl want to come back. I know. Yeah, I hope she come back. Oh, I do too. All right, Ethan, your turn. Who you got? Um, who do I want to win? For storyline purposes, I'm gonna say Liv Morgan. Okay. Okay. Who, do I, who do I think wins? I agree with Embryo. I think Becky Lynch. All right. Next next up, we got the men. Ethan, who you got? Who I want to win is Drew. Who do I think wins is Cody. Embryo, you're Ooh. up, buddy. 
right, who I think is going to win, CM Punk, because I think there's a good story to tell. But who I want to win, I want Prison Dom to win because the world will just go crazy. That is hilarious. And you are, in fact, a menace to society. And I hope you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope you're right. That would be fucking perfect. Or, like, or Logan Paul. If Logan Paul. Nah, 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 no. No. Give me prison dime. I'm just saying the world will burn. That's why I'm saying the world. I'm going to keep it a bit with you, bro. Logan Paul win. I'm going to go back into my anti-watching wrestling phase of life. No. That's the point. That's the point. That's why it would be so funny. But I'm choosing Dominic. Like, I feel like if Dominic won, it would just be hilarious, amazing. I'm a the prison dom winning that. He, you just know how much crap he's gonna talk. It'll just be so amazing. That'd be amazing. Um, I want Solo Sokoa to win. Like Solo, Ooh. I know he's lost some matches lately, which sucks. But I mean, I think uh, I'm gonna give y'all a spoiler alert. I don't. I'm not totally sold on Roman losing the title at Mania just because I think that he has to go up against Solo at least one time. Like, I think that, like, there's subtle things in their promos. Like, for example, this past Friday, when Roman was bucking his chest and talking kind of crazy, but as soon as Solo stood up, calmed down a little bit. And he already mentioned, you know, that Solo is next in line to be the tribal chief. I think that I could see a situation where Solo's like, you know what? I'm tired of waiting. I want I want the seat at the table. I want to be at the head of the table right now. That leads to a mania match. Perfect world. That's what I want. Um, but yeah, I think CM Punk wins it just because Cody won it last year and I've said it before, but I feel like you can book it like him versus, uh, Roman without him winning the, you know, the rumble. But now time for the tiebreaker. I don't know if we're going to need one, but this is hard because I didn't want to do the normal who takes the loss in the fatal four way. This is going to be a hard one. Who in the men's and women's Royal Rumble enters First. Oh, that's a hard one. We'll say first or second because technically it really don't matter. And if neither of the people we say make it, whoever comes in earliest of the people we say. I'll go first. Um, women's, I think Becky. And men's, I'm gonna say Jay Uso. But who would be the other people in there? Who would be the other two? Or are you just gonna choose Jay? Okay, I see what you're saying. Um Ooh, I'm gonna say Bailey, only because she's been getting picked on anyway. Bailey will probably end up first for the women's. The men's. You said Jay. Uh, I'm gonna say Jimmy because if Jay in there, I want to see Jimmy be in there. Bet that would actually be great. I, they gonna be in the ring together at least one time. Is is Jimmy even in the Raw Rumble? I'm so happy this year they're not announcing everybody who's going to be in it. So I'm going to say probably, but they I don't think they've said for sure if he was going to be in it or not. Yeah, because I doubt Bobby will get in first. Yeah, I'm going to go Jimmy. Okay. Ethan, you up. For me, the women, I am going to say Bianca Belair. For the men... I am going to say, uh, let me see, let me see. Like, normally 
off the page. <laughs> I feel like normally it's like somebody that's that's a a popular kind of like the. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go completely off the reservation. I'm gonna say Chad Gable. Okay. Oh, that's a nice one. I can see Chad starting. Yeah, he he's got the endurance. That'd be a good one. Uh, okay. All right, those are our Royal Rumble predictions. Um, anything else, NFL wise, NBA wise, WWE wise, y'all want to say before we get up out of here? Obviously, y'all know who I'm coming. Baltimore, let's handle business. Y'all gonna stress me the hell out this weekend, but it could be a very good stress. So please, don't beat ourselves. If we lose, we lose. Just don't, don't give the game away. That's all I ask. Why are you laughing? Yeah, I, I, so uh, I'm going to go NBA. I know, that's funny because you're definitely going to be stressed. But hey, oh, hey, so you're laughing at my pain and misfortune. No, no, because I, I actually hope the Ravens win. But, Me too. Um, I, I know, but for NBA, I don't think in the long run Doc Rivers would be a good coach for the Bucks. I don't, I don't Agree. think that's going to fix that. I, you know, I, I, look, happy for the Black Brothers, don't get me wrong. But I have never seen a man get more jobs off of one ring than man. anybody else. <laughs> like, you know, I think it's just a bad prediction for him to be in. I'm not – well, you know, I love the NBA. They talk about their defense defense problems. You got rid of Drew Holiday and got Daniel Little. You knew he was going to be worse um, defensively. You still got good defensive players, but I don't think Doc Rivers is going to fix those problems. It's just my opinion. I could be wrong. I like Giannis them. I like Dame. I want Dame to get a ring, but I don't think that's going to fix that problem. They have more problems than coaching. Coaching is not the only problem. Felt that. Uh, I just need your team to do one thing and one thing only. Not allow Taylor Swift to be at the Super Bowl. <laughs> I'm going to be honest if, if I have to watch the Super Bowl and they paying to Taylor Swift because Travis Kelsey t- caught a touchdown I'm going to lose my mind oh my gosh see nobody likes Taylor Swift <laughs> I have no beef with Taylor Swift and I think that like the discourse about her like ruining football is doing too much but them panning over to her 10 times a game is annoying and it's distracting. Not enough to where like, I'm never going to watch football, but it's like, bro, I can assure you most of the people watching this game did not turn this game on to see Taylor. So if they want to see what's happening on the field, I find if you're going to keep showing the press box, just so Jason Kelsey acting a fool, that's more entertaining than anything Taylor Swift is doing. Yes, bro. Like, I don't want to see her and Patrick Mahal's wife doing the, the worst swag surf I've ever seen in my life. Oh like, my I, I could have done without seeing it. No. I get what you're saying. Like, you, the discourse about her running. I don't think she's running football. I literally just think, like, bro, if I'm watching football, I want to watch football. I don't want to. I do. I don't like Taylor Swift. I think she's overrated. Like I can go into a whole tangent. I think a lot of her success came from stolen ideas that she stole from a black woman by the name of Beyonce. 
my wife also can verify because she a Beyonce fan and she know everything that Taylor Swift did that Beyonce did first. Uh, but when I watch football, I want to watch football. If you're paying up, like they only, that's the thing. And she's the only person that they do it to. Yeah. Like it's other celebrities that's been at games and they don't pay into like that all the time. Like we've had LeBron at games. We've had all these other celeb- big time like being like, celebs, but like big time celebs at games, and yeah. you don't constantly do it. No, I agree. They don't fan of Sierra. Sierra holds a wife. <laughs> yeah. So that's a great point you just made. And y'all know my feelings about my sister. Um, but yeah, that, that is very annoying. And I understand, like, I think Taylor Swift, like, in a recent interview was like, I'm, I can't control them putting the camera on me. And she's absolutely right. And, like, I'm not going to blame her for when it comes to a game and support. I can't put that on her. If anything, I'm mad at broadcast network for consistently putting the camera on her like people give a damn. Who cares? Yeah. But honestly, Taylor Swift not going to be on the field on Sunday, and that's what I care about. So Isaiah Pacheco going to have to get it. Patrick Mahomes got to get it. Travis Kelsey, Chris Jones, Jerry Sneed, everybody got to get it because I want Baltimore to be in the Super Bowl. So. Oh, I'm cheering you on. I'm cheering you on. Thank you. Please leave that, you know, that Saints bad luck juju away from us, please. I beg. You know what? I hope y'all make it to the Super Bowl and lose. Why would you I say that? Because you just, because you, what you just, because I was being reported when you yeah. just dragged, you, know, you, you didn't yeah. drag my team down. Okay, bro. You said what? Yeah, I want the black QB to win. Right. Wow. You, so you can root for Doc Rivers, but you can't root for Lamar Jackson? Mm. I didn't root for Doc Rivers. No, I'm saying though. No. You said I'm all for a black brother getting paid. But you can't root for Lamar Jackson. I was talking at the same time. I couldn't hear you. We said the same thing. We said the same. We said you can say you happy to see a black brother get a job, but you don't want to see a black brother win a Super Bowl. No, I want my son to win the Super Bowl, but you can't. You can't. You just said you want us to lose. Yeah, because you came for my team. I was never supportive until you came for my team. I wasn't even my coming for your team. That was just a fact. On the couch, cheering you on, and then you had to come for my team. Did I did I lie though? No, you didn't lie. I didn't lie either. I hope they make it to the Super Bowl. But then you said you wanted us to lose, and so now I don't even want hey, your I, support. I, 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 I know what I said. I know what I said. I don't even want your support be, no more, honestly. I, <laughs> I don't even want your support. You can keep it. You... No, no, for real, no, for real, no, for real. I have nothing against the Ravens, even though I hopped on your head for a second. Mm-hmm. I have nothing against the Ravens. I, I wish the Ravens well. I really do. Mm-hmm. Perfect. But that's our show. Thank you all so much for listening. Hopefully all you listening are rooting for Baltimore as well so we can still be friends because depending on how this game go, anybody who is a Chiefs fan may not, we may not be on speaking terms for a while. Um, but again, thank y'all for listening. <laughs> Neither of them said it, but I'll say it for them. Go Grizz. Everybody get healthy. Yeah, go Grizz, go Grizz, go Jared Jackson. He been stepping up. Man, you better knock on some wood because the same thing happened with Desmond Bain and then like the next day. So I'm knocking on wood for y'all. Grizzlies going to be healthy. Lakers. Uh, I mean, hey, the worst comes, hey, the worst, hey, the best thing that can happen is uh, somehow we get in the lottery, we get Bronny, 
and let LeBron come to Memphis and play with his son. Does that guy's gonna go? I feel so bad for Bronny. Like nothing, no matter what he does, he's always gonna be compared to his dad. I hope LeBron does not play on the same team as him. LeBron wants to play. He said he wants to play with him. He wants to play with his son. I know he season. wants to, but that doesn't so mean he should. He's gonna come to team. He's gonna come whatever team draft him. Hey, boo hoo! Bronny's in the shadow. He's a millionaire that's in the shadow. He'll be okay. That's sick. Um, Ethan, do you want LeBron in Memphis? Uh, at this point in his career, nah. LeBron with Jock, Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson. Hold on, hold on, hold on. It, this is the thing. I'm, I rock with LeBron heavy, but, like, this is the thing I think people fell into realize. When you get LeBron James on your team, your whole team has to be constructed the way that LeBron wants it. That is a fact. Facts. So, with that being said, Ja might be gone because Ja can't shoot as great as he is. Like, the whole team may end up being deconstructed and reconstructed. And I, I like what the Grizzlies are. They just need to get healthy and add, like, some complimentary pieces to the guys that they get. Can, can I say something real quick? Mm-hmm. So, I get, I get where you come from with that. I would say in the – well, even now, the Lakers, yeah, I like that now. But I feel like – I don't think this is going to happen. But let's say LeBron came. We got Brunner and LeBron came to Memphis. I don't think that we'll get rid of Josh. LeBron will not be here long. I feel like he'll be there, like, a year. He just want to play with his son. But – I feel like they, they, we're not going to get rid of Ja, and I feel like he'll actually step back and let Ja take over because he wants that. He's kind of letting Anthony Davis do that like this season, but think about it: like Anthony Davis will always be injured and not hold on his end on the bargain, so LeBron will have to take over more. If LeBron came to Memphis, he would definitely take a step back. He'll be LeBron's team because everywhere LeBron goes, his team. Let's be real, but um, I feel like he would step back and let Ja take over. He would not get in front of Ja. I don't think he want to get rid of Ja because Ja will have to become a better shooter. Yes, I agree with you with that part, but I don't think he will try to get rid of him. He'll let him take over so he can take a back seat a little bit. I mean, I agree. I think this is the point. Is all that worth one year of LeBron? No. Because if LeBron well, if, if LeBron only playing in Memphis one year and you don't win the championship, it ain't worth it. I agree with you, but that's why that's another reason why I don't think we would just break up the team. And we know LeBron coming for just like a one-year contract to play with his son. We ain't about to break up this team because we know he ain't going to be there next year. We know he not. I don't see us doing it. Now, I could be wrong because, like you say, the team LeBron go to, they want to try to build stuff around him, and you're not wrong with that. But I wouldn't see breaking up the team. Um, I, I can see us getting rid of some people like to get shooters, but that's it. But I don't see like just breaking up the whole team going all in on a chip because we know LeBron not going to be here the next year. So, it, it wouldn't be smart. I'll put it that way. It wouldn't be smart to do. But, you know. I mean, at this point, I'm a Lakers fan. And, like, I'm if LeBron got traded tomorrow, I'd be okay. I'm ready to start the next era. I don't think we're going to win a ring. So, why are we holding on to dead weight? Because, like you said, once Bronny get in the league, he gone anyway. Let's just go ahead and get that started. Right. And um, see AD be reminded that he's not the guy. He cannot carry this team. And we start finding a new guy. Hey, I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you, but, you know. But, I mean, if we trade. The, uh, you say what? 
No, that's what you're about to say. Oh, I was going to say, but I mean, if we trade in Jaw, I know a perfect place for him. Nah, see, nah, see, look, we done with the conversation. No, 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 no. I mean, if you want to trade Jaw. We're not trading Jaw. We're not trading Jaw. We go ahead and take that off your plate. We're not trading Jaw. He ain't going to no Lakers or nothing like that. Go ahead and get rid of it. Just get that out your head. Okay, that's what he Stop, Raven. Okay. It's cool because we're going to get Jason Tatum. That's cool. That's cool. Mm-hmm. But, all right, again, thank y'all so much for listening, fellas. Thank y'all so much for doing this. It's always a pleasure and a half and three quarters getting to talk to y'all. Embryo, you are always welcome to talk wrestling and of course basketball with because you know you may be wrong but you're still great <laughs> I'm gonna let you have that I'm gonna let you slide thanks for having me it's always a pleasure everybody be safe out there of course Ethan appreciate you can't wait till you hear more wrestling tips I mean wrestling hot takes I mean you said Finn Balor wasn't a good heel last year I can't wait to hear what your uh what your take this year is gonna be <laughs> I mean, it, I, my point is still valid. I don't think he's a good heel. At this very moment, he's not. He's like, he's become an afterthought, which is crazy to think because he is Finn Balor. But like, when you think of Judgment Day, he might be the, well, shit, with R Truth now, it's Rhea, Damien, uh, Prison Dom, and R Truth. He might be the fifth person really? you think about. For real? At this yeah, very I mean, moment, like, I, I would think like third. Nah, with the way that they're using him right now, he definitely ain't like he's, top three. He fifth. Cause Rich well, and I, I, Dam- Damian number two, Dom number three, and like this whole little Archie bitch is definitely kind of put him like super on the <laughs> back burner. Well, well, we just talked about this. Um, I feel like Dom has taken a step back. And, um, you know, I'll ask you this real quick. Have you noticed, like, Dom and Rhea haven't really been around each other lately? It's like Dom has taken a step back as well. Now, I agree Rhea and Damian are the first two you think about. But, like, I feel like Dom, I feel like Dom, JD, and really Finn Balor are all in the same spot right now. But the difference between that is, Finn Balor is the tag team part of the, you know, one half of the tag team champion. So you, when you think of the tag team champions, you think of Finn Balor because he's with Damian Priest. But let me ask you though. Like everybody just, let me ask you for real. How often do you think of the tag team championship? Say that one more time. How often are you thinking of the tag team championships? Um, I would, I would say you think about it a little bit because you do see Damian Priest with the briefcase, and he's always around, and you know. He's um one half, so I would say you like, think about it. You think about it. I'm not gonna say all the time, but when you see Judgment Day or when you hit the show, you think about it because you know Damian Priest is one half of it. So I think about it more than usual. I put it that way. I'm a disagree. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't either. Like when I think of Judgment Day, think, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Ethan. No, I was gonna say when I think about Judgment Day, I think about Rhea being mommy. Damien being the angry dude that wants to be the leader. Dom <laughs> being the dude that I like I get why he's in the position, but it was I still think he needs to grow in the ring a little bit, but he's still developing. And then like recently just the, the stuff with R Truth, I don't think about them being tag team champions. Only time it comes across my mind is when I random when they come up with the bills. So I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. They are the tag team champs. Facts. And low key, I think <laughs> they need so to lose so to DIY so next week. 
So basically, what you're saying is he's in the he's in the back burner with JD. Yes, but also and I'm gonna I'm gonna use your own your own words against you, Embryo. When you said who you wanted to win the Royal Rumble, you said Prison Dom because it would make the world burn. Just the reaction that Prison Dom gets, in my opinion, puts him over Finn Balor. Because if Finn Balor won, people are like, oh, okay, that's surprising but cool. But Dom, people would care more. You're right. That's a great point to uh, make. I'm full of it. I don't think they're gonna lose. Well, they might lose to uh, what's the name of the group? DIY. Yeah. DIY. They they might. Lose. They have... might. I'm not sure though. They they're should. Going to have to lose because it's like they've been teasing and teasing and teasing the the breakdown of the Judgment Day. I think it's gonna start with them losing, and then like that's what's gonna start. That's gonna be the domino effect of them breaking up. Well, I guess it would be my question. Do they jump our truth before or afterwards? Our truth costs them, and then they jump them. Yeah. Okay. So by the time we get to Mania, who's going to be out of judgment day? Um, probably. I'm telling you, we're going to get Damian versus Finn Balor. I and you and you said either you said the whole group is just going to be done. Yeah, the whole group going to be broke up because I like. Raven made a good point. You like they recently haven't been having Dom and Rhea together, and I think that's another reason why they're gonna partially break up Judgment Day because they're trying to get Rhea back in the forefront of being the women's champion. And she was that was a back burner to her being in the Judgment Day. And I'm gonna yeah. give props to Embryo because he made that observation, so I'm gonna give him his flowers. But yeah, I. <laughs> I think we're seeing the cracks of Judgment Day, which is terrible and sucks because I think it's the best faction we have in WWE right now. But I'm also looking forward to seeing Rhea kind of go back to doing her own thing. Uh, so I guess my last question would be, with all of them breaking up, you still got what da- you, Damien can do what he do. You say Damien and Finn are going to fight. Mm-hmm. What is JD and Dom? Well, where do they go? I think they become a tag team. Even so they a tag? Yeah. What was you about to say? I was gonna say either they become a tag team or JD going to obscurity and Dom Maria still become a thing and he just interfering in her women's matches. Or I could just go back that. to NXT. Um, yeah, or that too. I mean, Dom, Dom, the thing is, one thing I would say about Dom, he has gotten, he still got ways to go. I agree with you. Uh, when you say he got to get better in the ring, but he, I just seen him slowly improve, especially from like when he first started. Yeah, I like Dom though. I mean, long as Prison Dom keep doing his thing, I'm gonna be a fan. Um, I wish Rey Mysterio was healthy so he could eliminate Dom from the Royal Rumble or vice versa, but I don't know if he's gonna be healthy or not. So he's actually hurt. Yeah, he has surgery. No, he is. Yeah, he is hurt. Yeah, he is hurt. Oh no! As long as I feel you see Dom and Rhea, they can stick together because they are amazing together. They are. And I mean, who doesn't love seeing mommy on our TV screens, you know? And in my opinion, the mommy thing works better when Dom is around because she's able to expert that, like, I don't know the right terminology, but the mommyisms, like, she can say stuff that, like, has all that innuendo, and everybody's like, oh, shit. Yeah. (laughs) Y'all, y'all, y'all understand. You know what's happening. 
But okay, again, for real this time, thank y'all so much for listening. And as always, be sure to check out the export.net. I repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content with my yours truly and fellow export writers, previous episodes of our lovely podcast, and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Um, and we will catch y'all next week with the recap of the Rumbling Royal. Again, thank y'all, and we'll see you all next time.